in your pew bibles that can be found on page eight hundred and sixty two the lord is my shepherd and i shall not be in want he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sean. We are in a, a three-week series, so last week, this week, and next week, that are uh, taking a look at, at the promise that comes up throughout Scripture where God says to us, I am with you. It's a recurring refrain that, that pops up all, all the way uh, through kind of the whole movement of God's people in the Old Testament. A number of times he adds with it, do not be afraid, for I am with you. There's an assurance of God that speaks into our lives, not just in those times and seasons where everything is going well, but also into those places of heaviness and where we feel the weight of life with us. Last week, we, we spent time talking about our longing for God, uh, that place where we, we feel the, the absence of God and craving and longing that God would show up and be present with us. And we invited people to write down just little prayers and, and little pieces. And so we, we put them up here. Things about employment, about overcoming fear, about family members and loved ones who are not walking with the Lord. Deep longings from our heart where we offered out to God a, a, a prayer together that God would indeed be with us in those places where we, we don't right now feel him. This morning, we're going to shift from that longing to, to start naming the places where we are experiencing God's presence with us. And we're going to do so through Psalm 23. And at the end of our, our time this morning, end of the message, we'll invite you just to jot a few things down, if you're willing to, on here and we'll put it up at the end of the service down on the aqua colored one, the far left one over there, uh, and add it in. And then next week we'll have another one that we add in as well. But you'll have to come back next week for that one. Psalm 23. As a preacher, it's always dangerous to preach on a passage everyone has heard. Psalm 23 is probably the most familiar text in all of Scripture, maybe next to John 3.16. It is a passage we have heard from 
since we were kids. And, and I, I can remember hearing it as a kid. And, and I always had in my mind that David, well, put this chair up here a couple weeks ago. It's never come down. It's becoming a useful prop. So I, I picture David sitting down on some rock up on top of a hill, overlooking all his sheep. And he takes out that little piece of papyrus and gets that... The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Just kind of this real idyllic countryside, laissez-faire type of day. It, it's kind of the, I don't know if any of you do this, but growing up my dad would say, let's just go for a drive. And in fact, in our house it became known as the Sunday afternoon drive. Because we would eat, eat dinner when we got home from church and then he didn't want to sit in the house all day, so he put us in the car and drive. And that literally meant just driving around the countryside for a while. And we'd ooh and ah at the different things we saw, and later on we just counted the number of cows or horses we passed. Got a little boring as we got towards our teenage years. <laughs> but it's that laissez-faire, relaxed, kind of out in the countryside. But the longer I've studied this text, I've begun to realize that it's anything but that. You see, this, this psalm, even though it starts out in our English translations, the Lord is my shepherd, I want nothing. We've tried to smooth it out, and the translators have tried to smooth out the Hebrew. The Hebrew is much more broken. It literally just says, Lord. It's in the vocative, or a, a language of calling out someone's name. So it's, Lord, my shepherd, want nothing. That's what it says. And Eugene Peterson, when he was translating the message, was trying to get at this a little bit more. And, and so he wrote it this way. God, my shepherd! See the exclamation point? It's a crying out. It's a, a calling out to God. It, it's a, a picture, a, a child with arms raised up. Matter of fact, why don't you all raise your arms a minute? as if you're reaching up to a parent to pick you up and you're crying and, and this, is, this is the voice given to that God, help me God, my shepherd, pick me up hold me maybe another prayer will help us get there Jesus in teaching his disciples to pray he broke all the traditions and the formality of the day with the prayer. And he said, you started off with our Father. That's our English. The Greek is, is actually plays in with an Aramaic word here, Abba. Better translated, Daddy. Our Daddy! Our Daddy! The crying out that this psalm begins with is not someone sitting out in the countryside having an enjoyable life with all the blessings of the world around them. It is someone who has gone through distress, someone who is in fact in distress and is calling out and crying out to God, Daddy, save me! Daddy, hold me! Pick me up! When we enter into this psalm, we are entering into someone else's guttural, deep, heartfelt crying out to God. God, be the God you have promised to be. 
because I am desperate for you. It's a prayer. And as we see through this and hear through the stages of this psalm, it's a prayer for when we are overwhelmed, when we are fearful, when we are threatened, and when we are weary. And I don't know about you, but at any given day, one of those four is hanging around me. When we are overwhelmed, when we are fearful, when we are threatened, and when we are weary. I ask you, just in front of you, put your hands open. The psalm begins entering into a space where God is seen as the one who gives what we need to us. It's as if we are about to receive a present. Picture your birthday or Christmas, and, and you can't do that when your arms are crossed. It's a God who is reaching out to us and giving us the very things we need. And so a posture of open hands as we enter into this space. So I'll read this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. There's a posture to receiving that. God is with us when we feel overwhelmed. I was able to, to go this past week and engage with our, our CRC campus ministry uh, who meet uh, over at McMaster University, and there was one Mohawk person there too. Um, but we were able to talk and spend some time together, and I usually do this once a year at the invitation of, of Michael Fallon, who's the leader of that, that ministry. And we talked about silence and Sabbath and getting to that space where we can enter into God's presence. And even though it's three weeks into the school year, pretty much everyone in the room said they feel busy. They feel overwhelmed. And I imagine if I was to ask in our congregation here, who feels busy right now? Most of us, some of us instinctively just put our hands up. We are ready to admit it. And it's not just that, that social busy, you know. How are you doing? Well, I'm busy. It's not that. It's that we feel so busy inside of us. Brady Boyd, he's a, a pastor out in Colorado, and he went through a burnout experience himself and then entered into, later on, after he had kind of recovered and been restored, enter into ministry in a church whose pastor just went through a major burnout. And as he was entering in, he spent a season teaching them about Sabbath rest. And where he started was with this phrase, our conscience can't keep up with our pace of life. Our conscience can't keep up with our pace of life. We live in a culture that tells us to keep doing more, do more, do more, go, 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 achieve more. You haven't done enough. I've talked to a few of us here in this room who, who shortly after their retirement, you know what they say to me? I bet you can guess, can't you, Jerry? I'm busier now than I was before I retired. It's not just to a particular age. It's not just because we have so many sports activities or our kids are tied up in so many things. It is something in our culture that haunts us. It drives us, and we are overwhelmed. 
we live in a culture that's overwhelmed. Our conscience can't keep up with our pace of life. How good is the gospel then that shows up in this psalm and and that Jesus uses later on as he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. The grace of God in this psalm is not just because life is good and the prosperity gospel and if you trust God, all these blessings will come to you. It is God stepping into the midst of our brokenness, the midst of those places where we feel overwhelmed and saying, I'm with you. I've got you. Receive the rest I long to give to you. Let me lift the load off of you. Let me hold you and and take you in and and bring you to this space where you can rest with me. Gospel through and through is about God entering into those spaces where we can't handle things anymore and in the midst of them telling us, reassuring us, I've got you. You know what strikes me? Something in the Heidelberg Catechism. There is, uh, throughout church history and, and throughout Scripture, the emphasis of Sabbath as a day of rest. Anybody grow up with that? Sabbath is a day of rest. But the Catechism adds a second piece to it when it's talking about Sabbath and obeying the fourth commandment. It actually says it is a daily resting from our sins and daily letting the Lord work through us or work in us through the Spirit. you get that? Sabbath just isn't for Sundays. Sabbath is actually a way of life that God's ushering us into and saying, let me, let me untangle you from the sins you feel trapped in. Let me untangle you from the pressures of this world that you feel so consumed by. Let me usher you in this day, in this moment, into my rest with the Spirit. God stepping in, bringing us to quiet waters and green pastures. The gospel, the good news, is for those of us who feel overwhelmed, abiding. This is, this is entering into a different space. In, in abiding, I, I can picture being in a a space walking with my parents out at Red Rocks in in Colorado and and walking there and hearing the thunder roll and my grandpa trying to console me telling me it was just angels bowling. All right? I still actually remember the shirt I was wearing that day. It was a Joe Montana San Francisco 49ers football shirt. And I could not have been more than seven or eight years old. And I remember the only thing as I heard that thunder peeling and echoing and vibrating through the canyon, the only thing I wanted to do was get into my dad's arms. Dad, pick me up and carry me. Abiding. God picking us up and carrying us. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is with us when we feel fearful. Some of us, that fear is kind of an abstract fear. 
It's a fear of things like eternity. We can't comprehend eternity. And so we become fearful of death because we can't figure out how we're going to live forever with God. And that phrase and the fact that the minister just said live forever is starting to raise the anxiety level. For some of us, that fearful is because our marriage is on the rocks. And we're fearful that one day we're going to come home and our spouse is going to say, that's it. It's over. Or one of these days we're going to get a call saying that our kid who has been off and off the deep end has been injured or is gone. We live with fears that hold us. We live in a world where there is uncertainty, where there are things that wrap around us. The word here, and and there's been quite a bit of of debate about how do we actually translate it. It it used to be, some of us may have grown up with this, uh, the valley of the shadow of death, right? We've heard that. And the newer translations say the darkest shadow. The Hebrew word is actually a combination of death and darkness. It's kind of merging them together and shoving them together. There is something particular. It's kind of like a cloak that gets draped over us. It envelops all about us. It it covers everything. I had a counselor once who was talking to me about depression, and he said, this is his phrase, it's as if you are looking at life through poop-colored glasses. This passage says it even more pointedly when we are in those spaces where the thing that dominates our view on everything is death we can't escape our fears we can't escape our mortality we can't escape our fragility we are a vulnerable people we are infinite we are not infinite like God we are finite which means there is an end And that scares us. It gets at our deepest fears. In the midst of this, in the midst of this reality, we get a statement like this. Jesus sitting with his disciples the night before he dies. And he says to them, I am the good shepherd. Brings them right back to Psalm 23. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. I've got them. We're together. We're with each other. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And Jesus entering into death before us. Jesus going there, making the way for us. Going into the place that scares us the most and saying, even here, I will be with you. There is no place on heaven or on earth, there is no place that I will not go in order to be with you. I will enter into that deepest place of your fears, and even there, you will find me. I go on to assuring 
There is something about that, isn't there? Not a God who only wants to be with us when things are good, but a God who in the beginning, when we are the ones who ushered death into all of creation, said to us, I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to abandon you. But actually, I'm going to go into death after you and get you. You brought it on, but I'm going to enter into it. That covenant promise we marked in baptism. When you study the history around baptism and the language and the symbols, one of the symbols that comes up quite often is the biblical story of the flood. And the flood being the chaos of death overwhelming us. Us being submerged into the chaos of death. Some days I wish we would have an adult baptism and get in a portable hot tub. I know we don't do baptismal fonts. There used to be one back here. Put people under. And you go all the way under that water and experience the death. The baptism showing that our sins actually brought us to death. Jesus entering into that death with us and raising us out of it to new life. And with the flood, the symbol that was mentioned was God's promise of the rainbow. And, and scholars in that, from that, who study that time period and the symbols of that time period talk about the rainbow being a bow that is bent and ready to shoot. And God's saying, I will never destroy the earth again as with a flood. And I swear it on my own life. That rainbow pointed towards God's own heart. I will take on death before I allow your sins to separate us from each other. I will enter death. And in Christ, he does for us. He abides with us, even in those places that scare us literally to death. Assuring. I've been struck by an image lately, and I've shared it in a couple settings. It's the image, and, and for me, the image is of, of this sweet old couple, an elderly couple sitting down for coffee in the most hipster coffee shop you can imagine. They are totally out of place, and yet they are the most peaceful couple in the room. They sit there. They don't even say anything. They have their tea and their coffee, and they... They sip it and they look at each other. And there's such intimacy that the words would actually get in the way and, and break what's happening there. It, it struck me recently, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me read the text that goes with this. That picture of an old couple sitting together. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God is with us when we feel threatened. There's an interview that happened some years back. A, a preacher in the States tells the story of it. It was, it was an interview between Dan Rather and Mother Teresa. And, and Dan Rather is asking her all sorts of questions, and he, he says to her, What do you say to God when you pray? looks at him and says, nothing. I listen. You can tell Dan Rather's taken back by this. Well, what does God say to you? Nothing. 
he listens. And she adds this, and if you don't understand that, you can't understand prayer. Being brought into the presence of God is not our laundry list of questions and requests before God that we want God to do for us. And it's not getting to a place where we hear the mission that God has for us and waiting for that revelation to show us that this is what we need to do with our lives. The intimacy that Scripture leads us to and that this psalm brings us to is being able to sit and be still in the presence of God with God. That intimacy that that is louder and speaks more volume than any of our words can say that says to us, you are loved. You belong with me. You have a place here in my presence. And how many of us need to hear that? Especially when we feel threatened. Enemies. I don't know if any of you have enemies. Someone who's a mortal enemy who's out to take your life physically. It is possible. It does happen. But most of us in our North American culture don't live in a place where we feel the physical threat of death day in and day out and that typical idea of an enemy. But enemies, biblically speaking, are anything that threatens to separate us from God. The king of Babylon was an enemy to the people of Israel because he threatened to pull them out of the land. The king of Egypt, Pharaoh, was an enemy to God's people, not because he was this big power over them, but because he threatened to destroy their faith in God by saying, there is no other God but me. Caesar was an enemy to the people of God because he said, the only Lord is Caesar. Those things that threaten to separate us and pull us apart from God and destroy our faith in God. Those are the enemies that we have today. And as God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, we feel those pressures to conform in our society, to shut our, silent, or shut our mouths about our faith, to keep our faith private. It's just for us, just for me. It has nothing to do with the world around me. We feel those pressures, those enemies. And this text calls us to enter into a space where when we feel threatened, our reaction is not to run out and try and solve it and fix it, but our reaction is called for in this text to be still with God, to sit in his place, in his presence, have a cup of coffee with them and listen. There's a whole line of assurances given throughout the New Testament for when we feel threatened. One of them may be we feel threatened by our own sins. And Paul's quick to say to the Romans, when you were God's enemy, Christ died for you. How much more, having been saved through his death when you were his enemies, will you be joined into his life now that he's resurrected and you have been restored to him? Or in 1 Corinthians 15, for those of us who have the fear of death, it reassures us that that Christ is at work even now, putting every enemy under his feet, including our chief enemy, death. 1 John 1 and 2 
which spill over with this language of, of if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father who's interceding for us and who will freely forgive us. Or Romans 8, where Paul boldly says, there is nothing in heaven and on earth that can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This psalm participates in the cadence of Scripture, reassuring us again and again and again that though our sins separated us from God in the beginning, that will not be the end. In fact, God has been at work reconciling not just us, but all things to himself in Jesus Christ. There is nothing, no threat, that can actually separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ dwelling surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever I'm going to be part of your family God I get to move in with God Bible actually uses the marriage relationship to talk about God's love for us and our connection with God, his deep intimacy that he longs to have with us. Imagine someone who is engaged and they say to you, I am so excited because in three weeks I get to move in with my beloved. That sense of anticipation That sense of of being drawn into such an intimate, beloved place where Song of Songs says, I know know my beloved and my beloved knows me. It's that place where where you are known and, and you know. It's that sense of intimacy, that freedom. And I recognize that for some of us, we did not grow up in homes where we felt it was okay to be ourselves. But God says, in my home, I welcome you in. I embrace you. I receive you. In fact, Jesus says to his disciples right in that same night as he's about to go and leave them, he says to them, I am going ahead of you to prepare a room for you. We're going to live together forever. You, as part of my family. I don't know about you, but when I'm weary and I finally hear that space where it's okay to rest, had let out a deep sigh. A bunch of us pastors were talking about how we do our summer holidays. And several of them said, I have to take two weeks every summer. Two weeks in a row, black together, because the first week I still have everything whirling through my head all the busyness, all the to-do things, all the conversations, and usually somewhere around the start of the second week, I go, and my spouse says to me, ah, there you are. Anybody else relate? It's that deep sigh, and this psalm ends with that deep sigh, and it's a reassurance that one day we will dwell with God. We will be able to rest in fact, some of the language that the biblical passages use and authors use is, come enter into my rest. It's an invitation to enter into God's rest with him. Interesting thing in this passage, though, 
we'll pick up that dwelling with God more. It says your goodness and, and love or goodness and mercy or mercy and love, depending on which translation you use, the idea in there is hesed, God's covenantal faithfulness. It says it chases us. Not it will follow along kind of this, this big wedding gown trail behind you or all the flowers springing up behind your feet. It's not that. It actually uses the word for pursue, most often used as an enemy pursuing you and you are running for your life. But it says God's, God's goodness, God's faithfulness will pursue you, will be behind you, will wrap around you, will surround you. In some sense, it is a loud declaration that the circumstances you are in are not the end of the story. Look, God's faithfulness is coming. Look, God's goodness is coming. He hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't forgotten you. He is coming to get you. He will surround you and hold you and accompany you all the way home. God coming up beside us in the midst of our weariness, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of the threats we feel, in the midst of overwhelm, and saying, I've got you. End of Deuteronomy, Moses is transferring leadership to Joshua, and God gives him these words to say to Joshua, and really to the people of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. In the midst of the uncertainty you find yourself in, hear God's word. The Lord himself goes with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord is with you, holding you, surrounding you. That's what we are reassured of this morning in Eden's baptism. That's what we are reassured of next week as we take communion together again. That's what we are reassured of each time we gather with God's people. The Lord himself is with us. It's a blessing that Neil Planninga, former president at Calvin Seminary, uses. And he picked it up from someone else and they haven't been able to trace where it came from or where it started, but... I'm going to use this blessing at the end of our service today. God, go before you to lead you. God, go behind you to protect you. God, go beneath you to support you. God, go beside you to befriend you. Do not be afraid. May the blessing of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you. Do not be afraid. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. That's reassuring, isn't it? A God who wraps himself around us in all the circumstances we find ourselves in. A God who says, don't be afraid because I am with you, even here, even now. Which brings us to our prayer wall. The prayers we're invited to offer today, and it's through this question how are you experiencing God's presence in the uncertain spaces of your life? For some of us, this will be an opportunity simply to name those uncertain spaces. 
we're longing still for God's presence. And so we may need to name those spaces where we feel overwhelmed, fearful, threatened, and or weary. Feel free to do so if you want to put it on the longing because you don't feel like you're experiencing. There's actually some orange sticky notes up there you can add to last week's part of the wall. For some of us, this may be a moment where we stop and we say, you know what, God? You are with me, and here's how I see you. And, and we'll take, Collier, I'm going to steal one of yours. We'll take this little yellow note, and we'll write it on. This is the way I'm experiencing God with me right now. After the service, I invite you to go up there and put it on that wall. Together, what we're doing as, as we build this wall together, this prayer wall together, what we're doing is starting to build a common story or testimony of God's faithfulness in our midst. There's quite a few of us who tell great stories about God with us, but we would never get up here to talk about it. We don't want to be up front, and we're a little nervous about that. That's okay. This provides a way for us to tell the story that God is indeed faithful here and now. And I invite us to do so. Take a few moments. I'll close us in a minute or two with prayer, and then we'll move into the next song. Take a few moments to think about it, write it out. How are you experiencing God's presence in the uncertain spaces of your life? God, thank you. Thank you for being with us in this space today. Thank you for not overlooking us or pretending that everything's okay, but giving us a word that's rich and deep and enters into those places of our lives we never imagined going, we never imagined being dragged into. You are the God who is with us. Thank you for that. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear the ways you are with us day to day and your invitation to sit and be still with you. Draw us into your presence. Transform us in the midst of our overwhelmness, in the midst of our fearfulness, in the midst of the, the places we feel threatened. In the midst of those spaces, Lord, where we are just plain weary and tired, come alongside us, hold us, draw us to yourself. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.
In line with last week and this week, I'm going to invite us to sing a song we normally wait till Advent to sing, but it is fitting to sing any time of the year. Come thou long expected, Jesus, please stand as we sing. <laughs> 